the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So as the Buddha said, we're going to be focusing firstly on the Hamaya one with the theme of prayer um, in mind for us. attentive 
It means that he had a sense or a feeling that God was closing his eyes and was inattentive, which I think many of us can relate to, where we feel that we are talking and God is not listening. So the first thing to talk about is, this, is about praying when you feel that God is absent. Because how many of us complain that when you're praying, you're staring at a blank wall, or you're closing your eyes and you're just talking in your head, and for those of us that are a little more dramatic, we scream and yell at the heavens. First, you need to recognize that prayer is a mode of communication that is in a specific context. And that context is what most of us call a relationship. So it's not rocket science. But you have to remember that you're in a relationship. Because sometimes we talk about prayer like it's a specific action that gets done on a checklist. And if you're in a relationship with somebody, you would typically freely interact with the person. Right? This is not something where you're limited, limited with. Both of us can come and go as we can. If you're in a regular relationship with a friend, they're not bound to specific times in which you are permitted to speak or not speak. I mean, unless you're speaking. Right? But most of us don't set rules on one another saying that, no, I wanted to speak to you at 6.47 and you're unavailable until 7.13 and therefore we are no longer in a relationship. That's a pretty crummy relationship if that's what you're in. Okay? So in a relationship we're able to freely talk with one another back and forth. So we complain about God being absent. But if we recognize that we are in a relationship, then and as Metropolitan Anthony Bloom says, there's a, a great book I can recommend at the end. He says, I think God would have a lot more to complain about than, than we do when it comes to the relationship. We come to him at the last minute. We come to him when we want something. We come to him when we're falling asleep. We come to him, if we even remember to come to him at all, for a few short minutes and then we peace out. So we want to speak to him for three minutes in the day, but the rest of the 23 hours and 57 minutes in which God may have been trying to speak to us, we close. We close for business. Our relationship is these three minutes that I've decided belong to God. So if we're in a relationship, better not to complain about God being absent when typically speaking it's us who is. The other aspect to keep in mind is that meeting God face to face physically is probably a very scary thing. It's not something that most of us might be very excited for. Because to stand before the Lord of hosts himself might mean your judgment. If we look at the Gospels and look at the interactions with Christ, somebody who was projected face to face with Christ often wasn't in the right. And so even if he rebukes gently, usually we discover that we're in the wrong. If we look, for example, at the the story of the, the woman caught in adultery. It wasn't a very pleasant interaction for, the, for the, the Pharisees and the other people who came to throw stones, even though they thought they were pretty righteous before God. So in one aspect, it might be better for us not to see him because I'm not sure if we'd be prepared to handle that moment. That's why when Peter interacted with Christ, his reaction in the boat was, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinner. Even though the Lord was nothing but compassionate and did a miracle, 
it filled him with the knowledge of self that made him feel unworthy to be in the presence of God. So rather than complain about that and realize that it, it might be in your favor, that God is allowing you to live a life in relationship with Him before coming face to face to Him. So that when you encounter Him deeply and truly, when that gift of grace comes, even on this earth, you know who He is already. The other, the third aspect to consider with the feeling of God's absence is God absent because you don't care about Him. Are you worked up in prayer because of what or who you are praying about? Or are you wondering if you are talking to God? Because most of us associate our emotions in prayer and our success in prayer with how deeply we felt about what we were praying for or about whom we were praying for and all of us on our hands and knees for so-and-so and so-and-so. And so. But how many of us were actually thinking about having a real encounter with God, which is what prayer is supposed to be? So don't blame God for the sense of absence when often it's us to blame for this feeling of absence. We should be approaching God for the sake of God. Like Zacchaeus, of whom it was said, he wanted to see Jesus for who he was. Not for the miracles, not for a random word. He wanted to know who is this Jesus. So then Nehemiah goes on to say, Hear the prayer of your servant, which I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Yes, and my, I and my father's house have sinned. So the second aspect to consider is our mindset when we are praying. So Nehemiah began with confession. Obviously, when things go bad, we start to realize that we've messed up. When things are going well, we couldn't possibly be wrong. So now that things are going bad, suddenly he's like, yeah, 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 we messed up, right? And he's asking for forgiveness. But we actually do need to approach God with the conviction that we need his mercy, right? You, you actually do need it. And so that should be part of our mindset when we meet with him. So Nehemiah felt cut off from God because he was away from Jerusalem and away from the temple. And so we should also feel that when we are away from our life in Christ, that we too need His mercy to be restored. In other words, we should have the attitude of the sinner in the temple, and they had the Pharisee and the sinner that both prayed. And you have the Pharisee who stood there saying, I thank you God that you have not made me like everyone else. Everyone else sucks and I'm amazing, and it's good to be me. Whereas the other person who had real life experience just says, Lord, have mercy. No eloquence, nothing extravagant. Simply, Lord, have mercy. Because if you're able to make yourself weak, or to accept that you are weak, to truly accept it, our Lord says, in weakness, I am made strong. When you recognize who you really are, it is only then that the Lord can work in you. Because you're, you're accepting his work. An analogy of this is the image of a sail on a sailboat. The sail on a sailboat is this flimsy piece of fabric. It's thin, if you were to throw a knife at it, it's going to cut right through it. But this flimsy piece of fabric, when wind is blown at it, steers the ship. It is through this weak vessel that God has chosen to do something marvelous. 
So in other words, maybe become like a beggar. If you become like a beggar, you're attached, you're not attached to riches because you don't have any. And you don't feel yourself in, in, in need as much as rich people do, ironically. A beggar sees value in things more deeply than a person who is rich. A beggar knows the value of, of 10 cents or 14 cents, whereas a rich person does not. If you become totally poor, then you can become rich with God. I know, for example, a novelist in the monastery who was previously rich, and in the monastery obviously didn't have a penny. His sandals got so worn out that some guy in the monastery noticed and bought him ship ship, the zikul. So to this guy, this small gesture, he looked at God and said, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to receive charity. His mindset had changed. There was something, even the very littlest act of receiving his gift of these five dollar pieces of flip-flops, he was content. Because when you're rich, and it's not that richness itself is wrong, but attachment, when you are attached to things, you become a slave. Because you only want this. And if you don't get it, you're unhappy. And if you don't, even if it's not good for you, it doesn't matter. It's this that you want, you're enslaved to it, and you're not able to cut that passion, or thing, or person, or dream, whatever it is, away from yourself. So richness is not even just material wealth, but having the desire for something instead of the desire for God to fill your heart. The next thing in prayer is the knocking. If you come to the point where you realize there's not much there, God says, knock, and the door will be open up to you. If you knock, where does it mean that you are? It means you're on the outside. We're on the outside. No matter how much you feel that you know everything and that you are living in this wonderful, blissful world of everything, even if it's religious, we're actually seeking to enter into the kingdom. So prayer itself is like knocking at the door of the kingdom. When you knock, when you're asking God, it's important for you to try and remove any images from your mind and preconceptions about God and see God for who He is. If you, if you look at God with your preconceived notion, you limit Him to who you think He is. If you think your God is a jerk and a tyrant, you will deal with Him like an angry slave. If you think your God is a loving God, you're going to deal with Him with love. If you think your God is merciful, you'll approach Him with a little bit less fear. But the best thing to do is simply meet Him and find out who He is. If you don't meet Him, you'll never know. And you can sit there with your preconceptions, preconceptions your whole life long if you don't drop it and seek God for Himself and interact with Him personally. So when you're speaking in prayer, you should speak into the depth of your heart, not outwardly. You enter inwardly. Close your eyes and speak internally. So that way you're not waiting for the echo back to you in your empty room. You can scream at the sky, but the sky isn't going to answer you. But the Lord said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And that's why when we pray, we have to look very deeply inside of us, past the distractions, past the thoughts in our heads, past the 
the things we're thinking about from the day, the things that we need to do, the things that we need to get done, the people who have problems going on, our own problems, filter past all of that. And enter into prayer with the mindset of, today I want to interact with the living God. Turn that into your challenge, not just to sit there blah 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 and him. He doesn't mind when you blah blah blah. But if you're actually interested in a relationship, then consider talking to him, not just at him. Move inwardly and close your mind to distraction. Enter as far as you go, and you'll find that the barriers actually do start to break down. The next part of prayer is the words. What do you say when you pray? When you're in a relationship with somebody, how you speak matters. If every time you go to talk to your friend, you pull out a book of prescribed things to say. Someone says, how are you? And you look at your list of things that you can say to how are you. I am fine, thank you. How was your day? It was excellent, thank God. If you have this prescribed list of things that you say, are you really in a normal relationship with somebody? So when we pray, what we matter to God also matters. Because if you're not convinced by what you say, what are you saying? Just random words, like thinking that God wants to hear this like beautiful prayer that was composed by someone else. You need to pray words that are actually real to you. He's not looking for you to shout random things at him. Because that's fake in the real world, it's fake in the spiritual world. You need to know what you're saying. So, Metropolitan Anthony has a wonderful quote about we here where he says, The first act of prayer is to choose such words of prayer as are completely true to what you are. Words which you are not ashamed of, which express you adequately and are worthy of you. And then offer them to God with all the intelligence of which you are capable. You must also put all the heart you can into an act of worship, an act of recognition of God, an act of cherishing, which is the true meaning of love, an action which involves you in the mind and the heart. That's why when Nehemiah was saying this prayer, he says it was with deep fasting and prostrations, right? It was because he was trying to make his body express what even his heart was saying. But what Metropolitan Anthony is saying here, you have to choose words. Some of them are from you and some of them might be written prayers. But the point is you have to choose prayers that are actually being expressed by you from your heart. So sit with your father of confession and discuss honestly what kinds of prayers are best for you. Sometimes using the words of others is helpful. Sometimes it will be using your own. But you need to sit with your spiritual guide to find the ratio, the balance between the two. But it's very important that you find a prayer that you deeply connect with and that you're able to make your own. Because when it's your own, you can actually enter into the heart of prayer because you're actually meaning the words that you are saying. When you enter into the world of prayer, if you're able to really mean what you're saying, you will find something, and this is not just a theory, this happens in its fear. Think of when you have some major event that makes you like ecstatically happy, or on the flip side, something that makes you miserable. That feeling, that realness of that feeling, can be with you throughout the day and throughout the night. No matter what actions you do, you might be eating, drinking, joking, going to places, but in the back of your mind is the reality of that event. The loss of somebody or the joy of being in love or getting married or whatever it is, whether it's joy or sorrow, that can be always in the back of your mind. 
The same is true if you are to experience the presence of God. You will start to realize that the presence of God is at all times and your prayer is no longer limited to three minutes a day. You find that you constantly are aware of the fact that God is alive. That's why the proclamation of the church is always Christ is risen. He is very alive. So, don't say words repetitionally that you, that you are using. This is very important to sustain a mood. So many people think that praying well is about having these like fluttery feelings in their heart of, man, I prayed so good yesterday. I was like on fire. That is, that I was like off the hook. I was like totally into my casino. It's not about emotions. Okay, if you use your emotions to evaluate how well you pray, you're not really praying. Like, do you sit there when you're in a relationship with a friend and evaluate how much fluttery feelings that you had every time you had a conversation? If you do, you're weird. Like, <laughs> it's not a normal thing to do something like that. Okay, like we have to have a real conversation. So with God, we don't have to sit there and doubt whether or not we had an amazing prayer or not because you didn't feel like you could walk through the fiery furnace. Sometimes life sucks, okay? But that doesn't mean that we have to feel that we're praying every single time these deep-rooted emotions because that's synthetic, right? If we need to create a mood, then are you being yourself? You're not. And God knows who you are better than you are, so who are you faking for? Definitely not for God, and only be for yourself at that point. And if you're looking for yourself to grow, then ease off on the emotions and step up a little bit of the intention of the heart. Now, a caution about spontaneous prayer, because I was saying that there's two kinds of prayer. There's the prayer that's spontaneous from the heart, right? And then there's prescribed prayers, or prayers with the fathers, or prayers with the Igbeya, or things like that, or the Psalms. If you think that you can sustain your prayer life using only spontaneous prayer, you're very mistaken. You're going to be dried up at certain points. And unless you're having an extreme moment where life really stinks, or an amazingly happy moment where you're euphoria, chances are you're going to find it very hard to find the words to say. Because we're human. You're not going to be able to find these depths of words and speak like you can write a Gregorian liturgy every single day. And that's why we have things like a prayer rule, okay? And rule is probably not even a really good word for it. Like the, the word canon is more associated with the guide or a rudder. It controls the ship, it controls the body. Because what we have, the reason for a prayer rule is to set a minimum for how much we pray or read. Because there's a lot of times where we just don't want to, or we won't have the ability to find the words for it. If you think about your relationship with any normal friend, if you're best friends with somebody and you talk to them day and night and you have this amazing relationship, at any hour of the day you're able to talk. But what happens if the person moves away and you don't talk much and you don't see them for a year? Over time, you get a little bit cold towards that person. You no longer care that much what's going on, not because you love them less or you like them less, but there's no active communication between the two of you. And then when you meet each other one or two years later, it's just awkward. Hey, how's it going? Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I have got to go. Right? And we've all had those awkward moments. And it's somebody that you were so close with before that they could finish your sentences, and suddenly 
is gone. But if there is communication regularly, back and forth, between the two of you, you pick up exactly where you left off, right? And the person is not upset if there's a day that you didn't talk for an hour long because you were tired or you were busy or something happened. But if you have a general mode of relationship, because again, prayer is relationship, not an action, but you're constantly in a life of relationship, you don't get worked up about these things. You don't get worked up about emotions. You don't get worked up about the tiny superficial things that we used to evaluate. Because there will be periods where you are neither high nor low. And during those periods, it might be harder to be as emotional as you think you're supposed to be. And praying the words of others doesn't mean that you have any less conviction about those words. Finding a prayer that was inspired by the Spirit for somebody else, whether it's King David or a prayer from a prayer book, and there's many excellent prayer books out there, it doesn't mean you don't have conviction. And it doesn't mean you don't mean that. In fact, Jesus himself recognized that sometimes he wouldn't know how to be able to talk to him. Our Lord says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? And the commandments were what? Love God and love others. Because he was like, no, even if you continue to just do things that you're meant to do in my image, I am content with that. This is, this is a, a, a clear sign of your love. A couple that's married doesn't have the fluttery feeling in their heart one year later, right? Maybe the guy comes home from work and he's had an awful day, he's in lots of pain, and if the person just wants to sit down and shut up and put his feet up, this is not the time to be like, I'm not sure if you love me. <laughs> you don't want to talk to me at this very instant. I have a feeling you don't love me. What does that even mean? Right? Does that mean that he needs to now like, pull up the Shakespeare and recite it to prove, once again, that would be a very, again, messed up relationship. Right? If we understand each other as humans, I'm very confident that God understands us as God. And on top of understanding us as God, he understands us as human because he took on flesh and bore our weaknesses and knows exactly where we come from. But he seeks that we want to be in a relationship with Him. The next thing is to live your prayer. Whenever you pray, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon, wherever it is, take a line from your prayer or lines from your prayer and your Bible reading, which many spiritual fathers advise to be in the morning, to take a little bit of the Bible before you start your day, and live it. Take a segment of it where it says something. If it says, for example, I will open my heart, then say, today, I'm going to actively make a point of trying to keep my heart open to the voice of God. If it says, and seeing their needs, he gave unto them, they say, today, every opportunity I have to give somebody something, I'm going to give it to them, irrespective of what's going on. Take something and do it, because that is a living prayer. Because we said that prayer is relationship, it's not just words. You can live a life of prayer. You don't have to simply Say mumbo jumbo for hours at a time. You have to live it, you have to apply it, because then those prayers become your heart. They enter into your heart. If you don't live your prayers, then you're actually treating prayer time like you're giving Christ a courtesy call. Because you're saying that my prayer is limited to these few minutes in which I speak to you. Other than that, we'll put you on mute until I finish my day and I come back to you. But a person who's in a relationship is thinking about, what did we speak about? 
wow, I was really moved by this. I'm very confused by when he said this. What did he mean? Lord, help me to understand what you're saying. This is how you enter into a life that goes beyond just words. The other thing you might not realize is that living the prayers might be the answer to your prayer. Is that the words of the prayer might be the solution to the problem that you're praying about. So when you live it, you might start to find the problems that you're facing are naturally becoming resolved. Because you're living it. And so God is giving you an answer by putting it to application. We often really just want some miraculous divine intervention to come from heaven and a saint to appear and say the answer to your trivial problem is this. And obviously to us the problem doesn't seem trivial, so I get that. But in the grand scheme of things, often what we're asking isn't that huge that it warrants Archangel Michael to leave the guy who's dying on the other side of the world to come and tell us whether it's by this car or that car. So be realistic. It doesn't mean that God won't entertain even that. But it is also important to live the prayer. The last quick thing is the Jesus prayer. Okay? If we're going to talk about prayer as Orthodox particularly, we need to discuss Jesus' prayer even briefly. The church holds the Jesus prayer so strongly, and it's actually an Alexandrian tradition, that if you look at the daily Salis of the Tazbaha, they are all focused on the name of our Lord. St. Macarius in particular loved the Jesus Prayer. Because Jesus Prayer is a short prayer where you're not going back and forth with your thoughts. You're repeating one short prayer. And in that short prayer, you're proclaiming and recognizing who God is, your understanding of who you are, and your relationship. The devil is afraid of the name of Christ. Very afraid of the name of Christ. If you've ever seen an exorcism, the name of Christ is so powerful against the devil. And when you have thought warfare, the name of Christ is very helpful with the warfare. I know a person who, a monk taught him how to pray Jesus' prayer. And he was a novice in the Jesus' prayer. And went off to the side of the mountain to pray. And the devil was so upset that he was praying that he took his sandal, lifted it up in the air, and dropped it over the cliff. And the person went down to go get it and broke his toe. And all of this was to really just be like, stop it. Don't do this. And so all of that taught him was like, I think, hold off for now. Um, like he might not be ready for the big leagues, big leagues yet. But my, my point in telling this story is not to be like, wow, that's so cool. But to realize that this is how seriously the devil takes this prayer. Because when a person internalizes the prayer and says it from the heart, I know of many people who they end up saying it even in their sleep. Their first response to anything like random screaming is, my Lord Jesus Christ and the God. <laughs> okay, it becomes your immediate weapon. Casting out the devil. <laughs> Casting out the devil. So I'll end with just some random advice, or practical advice, because I mean, this is the theory of prayer, and I hope that you can understand that prayer is not a bunch of mumbo jumbo. It's not limited to one or two minutes a day. Um, it is a relationship that goes beyond emotions. First of all, if you're not used to praying, don't worry as much right now about the kind of words you pray. Start off by saying anything you want. Speak to God like you would speak to any of your friends. And don't be worried about it. Speak to God about your day. Tell Him what sucked, what was great. Tell Him what you're really excited about, things that you're really worried about. As you start to learn how to pray, there's nothing wrong with, with, with things like that. 
because these were meant to be guidelines to understand prayer life. But there are no restrictions on how to talk to God. But you need to think more deeply about what prayer is. So even if you start off by just saying, okay, today was great, blah, 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 Lord, help me with this, that's no problem. And speak to him really like you're speaking to a friend. If your father of confession, your spiritual guide, has given you psalms, take this psalm and understand it. We said earlier that the prayers have to be real to you, right? It's not for you to be like, okay, done that, our father, hold your Bible, some study, I'm done, I'm holy. No. <laughs> take it, and even if it's one psalm, enter into it. Because you'll find that David is saying things that many of us relate to. Sometimes David is saying, Lord, how long are you going to ignore me for? You've been ridiculously silent, and I don't like it. How many of us have felt that before in our lives? Every single one of us. Even priests and bishops here. Other times he's saying, I'm calling out to you from the pits because life sucks. And if you're mad at me because I sinned, well, there's nobody here who hasn't sinned, so we're going to be in trouble. So are you going to ignore me forever? And then he ends it with, I'm waiting and I trust you. That's a very powerful prayer. Other days when things rock, he's had a victory, he's had whatever, he's like, there's none like you, you're the bomb, you're blah, blah, blah. And, it, and he's saying it, and he means it. That's why there's songs of praise, there's songs of sorrow, there's songs of supplication. All of these are songs that reflect the states that we are all in at various times because we are human. And God loves our humanity. There's, our humanity is not something to be ashamed of. But when you learn to pray through your humanity, God condescends to you and lifts you up, and you become more like Him. Next piece of advice, practice stillness. This is a particular problem for our generation. We are hooked on communication, non-stop. We can't even sit in a talk without looking to a person beside us and jabbing or making some kind of thing. And I'm not saying that's wrong. We need to constantly be on Facebook, we need to constantly be tweeting things. I used to think it was a ridiculous idea that Twitter would ever take off. It's like, who cares what you're doing every second? <laughs> but apparently people care very much, okay? We're so hooked on everything that there's not a moment of actual quietness. Even when you're alone, you're not alone. You're not quiet. But our Lord says, be still and know that I am God. So you need to have stillness in your life daily. And I mean daily. It might be very difficult at first to do that for a long time, but you can start off by just saying, I'm going to, for five minutes today, do nothing. My phone is off, the light is off, there's no visual stimuli, don't even worry about the clock, set an alarm if you have to, if you're really concerned about it. Um, your screen is off, no noises, no nothing. You're probably going to find it very difficult. You're just going to sit and be like, this is really boring, and I have nothing to think about. But when you practice it, you'll start to find peace in the stillness. And that will become the best time to start meditating on your life, where you are, where you want to go. That will be the best time to think about God. And you'll actually find that suddenly you think about more than how many likes you got and like what you're going to do tomorrow and what's going to happen on Friday night after this meeting and when the five-day fasts are over. So stillness is important. My spiritual father at one point of Lazarus in Egypt was so adamant and I really benefited from it on saying to me that you need in your room to have an area that is cut off for prayer. Completely 
cut off. In this area in which you pray, there's nothing to happen there other than prayer. Put your icons in it, put your mini lingulae if you want, have whatever it is, but make it a spiritual environment. That when I enter into this part, this is my church. That brings you into the mood of prayer. It helps you get started. So even if it's a small portion of your bedroom, reserve it. I'm not going to sleep here, walk here, talk here, talk on the phone. Make that area holy ground. And in fact, they're like, take off your shoes. And another father at St. Anthony's Egypt told me, by virtue of you praying every day and saying, from this holy place that is yours, you've made your place a church. You've made your place a holy place. So have this little time, have a quiet time, have an area that's meant for prayer. And finally, open your eyes more to what God is doing. Don't limit God to your preconceived notions of what the answer to your prayer is. Okay? If we're talking about St. Mary this fast, I was giving a talk to our youth um, when we were in California a couple weeks ago, and he said something very nice. When St. Mary went to the Lord Jesus at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, she presented her, the problem to the Lord, but she didn't present a solution. She simply said, they got no wine and walked away. And then he says, it's not my time. And as Amos said, her response was not, why isn't it your time? And it wasn't, well, it should be your time. It was a complete trust that the solution is with him. And so all she had to do was tell the servants, whatever he says, just do it. And walks away. So don't limit God to what you perceive to be the solution. And you will find that his, his presence in your life becomes more and more visible. Glory be to your God for Father, 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 Father,
give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not from temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Christ Jesus our Lord, and the kingdom of God, the glory we hope we get this special now for those of you please to join us. Lord, make us worthy to pray to our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be.